Hello. We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Romans chapter 14 this morning. Romans chapter 14, we'll begin our reading together in verse 13. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he's covered a lot of ground thus far. He's talked about the essence of the gospel message and talked about what it means to be redeemed, what it means to have now this new right relationship with God and what it means to be the called out ones, a church, and how do we relate to one another within the church, and especially in regards to this Jewish-Gentile now kind of unity. What is that supposed to look like? How is that supposed to function? In the last chapter and sections, he's been talking about this relationship between Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, and all of the issues that come together when they begin to try and have church. So we get here into verse 13, and he's talked briefly in chapter 14 about this issue of judging one another based upon opinion or tradition or ceremonial law in the Jewish, in the Jewish setting, and he wants them to understand it in right perspective. This idea of judging one another based upon our opinions, he says, don't do that, but think, think about what's happening here in light of the fact that all of us will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So think about your life in the right perspective. Then he goes on in verse 13, and he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us clarity now in this text, 
We pray that you would equip us by your spirit, uh, that you would give us the tools necessary as we walk through this life as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would have the equipment to not only be able to process and apply this information, but Lord, to do it, to be active hearers and doers of your word. So we pray that you would do that now in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, as we come to this text today, it's funny, I was talking with Grant just a little bit ago. We, we go all the way through some of the, uh, these really theologically rich, significant texts all the way up until chapter 12, and then this new kind of different kind of information begins to flow out of Paul as he's kind of taking all of this theology and now applying it to the church. And, and uh, I sometimes, of course, I'm a, I'm a student in the Billy Graham School for missions and evangelism and so on, and, uh, and as we discuss you know, these kind of um, in-house discussions about theology versus missions at the, at the seminary, um, as guys in the Billy Graham School, we like to laugh a lot because we're just like, oh yeah, you know, the theology school, yeah, they have to think really hard, but we have to actually apply it, and that's the more difficult the more difficult task. So we not only have to know our theology, we have to actually apply it, and sometimes in really messy situations when it comes to missions and evangelism. And, uh, and so I think that's what we're finding here when we get to Paul in these chapters, is we've discovered these, these rich, deep theological truths, and now as he begins to kind of work out, what does this actually look like when we apply that rich, beautiful gospel that he's explained to us in the first 12 chapters, now he's saying, okay, you're, you're having to work this out now in your relationships in the church between Jews and Gentiles. And, uh, and it gets a little bit difficult to do that. Now, as Christians, whether it's first century Christians or Christians today, we all have this bad habit of judging one another. And we judge one another based upon stereotypes, based upon uh, traditions, and sometimes based upon our own opinions we do this. Uh, in, in the contemporary church, in churches in America, uh, sometimes older Christians will sometimes judge those who, who dress down when they come to church, you know? They wear the basketball shorts or the t-shirts, they don't have the tie on, and they look down at these Christians thinking, you know, I remember when this was the Lord's house. We use that kind of language. Or we say things like, oh, you know, they should be wearing their Sunday best. Why don't they wear their Sunday best for Jesus and this kind of stuff? Well, younger Christians... Uh, look down at, at some of these seniors who are, who are always seemingly talking about the old days when things were really good, when things really were, were cooking with the church and things were, you know, that's the way we need to get back to. And younger believers begin to look at them and think, oh, just get with the program. Know that this is how things are right now and this is the way things are going to be. Some Christians in our circles look down on other Christians who are teetotalers, uh, thinking that they're old-fashioned and their understanding of alcohol. Other, other Christians uh, look down at people who have an occasional drink of alcohol and think that they've wandered away from the faith entirely. So this is just this different of opinion here. We, we look now at our own kind of setting here in the season, and tomorrow is what? Halloween. Oh, my sakes. Is there different opinions on Halloween? You know, the blogs and the people and the Facebook. Ah. Oh, it makes you cringe. There's so many different opinions and people are so very um, decisive about stating their opinions 
in these various social media outlets. So some people think that it's okay to, to, to celebrate Halloween as long as you're not in a violent kind of costume, you know, as long as you're, you know, not bleeding, don't have an ax in your head, then it's okay to practice Halloween. Other things, ah, why not? Let's have a party. Let's do what we want, right? And then some people, uh, they, they roll their eyes, like people that want to do Halloween, they roll their eyes at people then that say, no, we do not practice Halloween. No, we do All Saints Day. We, we celebrate Reformation Day. You have these kinds of people, right? There's these different kinds of opinions about what we're supposed to do. Oh, and, and then we move into, you know, oh, good gracious, what a parenting dilemma we get to Christmas, right? What do we do with that? It's a mess. But we end up judging one another based upon opinions, based upon traditions. What Paul is saying here is because of that rich, Beautiful gospel that he's already explained to us. He says, we ought to behave differently as a result of that gospel. We ought not judge one another based upon tradition, based upon opinions, but we ought to instead, he says, build one another up in the faith. Now, maybe we're here this morning, we understand the freedom, in some sense, we understand the freedom that we have in the gospel, and it's okay as Christians to appreciate the freedom that we have in Christ, that we've been freed from the law, that we've been freed from conscience, that we've been freed from the things that held us captive uh, even uh, before the coming of Christ. We, we understand that there is freedom to be had in Jesus Christ, um, but we have to remember that the welfare of our brothers and sisters, the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters matters more than our freedom. Matters more. Ultimately, the people that we're connected to is what we ought to value in the church. Now, there's a significant relationship between faith and conscience. Strong faith that is based upon a proper understanding of the gospel and the liberty that the gospel gives to us can free our conscience, can cause us to live in a way that is free and joyful. But a weak or inadequate understanding of the gospel and the liberty that Christ has made possible for us can cause us to live in a way that we have a guilty conscience all of the time, a feeling of negativity. Now, in this section, Paul speaks quite specifically to the Romans about this issue of food and kind of the food taboos of the time, and specifically between Jews and Gentiles. Now, on the one hand... He says that they should stop passing judgment on one another. And then on the other hand, he explains that they should avoid putting stumbling blocks in front of one another. And, and Paul, he, he, he holds the strong position. So you have the strong position and the weak position. Paul says he holds the strong position, that, that there is no food that is technically unclean, that all food in, it, in and of itself is clean and able to be eaten. But then he explains to them that, that if they're eating of these kinds of foods, as Gentile Christians, if they're eating of these kinds of foods, distresses or causes harm to other believers, then they ought not do it. They should abstain because, he says, the kingdom of God is not simply about eating and drinking. We could say it's not simply about practicing Halloween. It's simply not about drinking alcohol. It's simply not about, you know, you fill in the blank. It's not just about these freedoms that we feel like we have or we deserve, he says, but rather the kingdom 
is about righteousness. The kingdom is about peace. The kingdom is about joy. All of these found in the Holy Spirit. So now, we look at this passage, I want us to, to, to glean three principles that I think will be very helpful for us to take away today from the text. The first is, we ought to care for the weaker. Care for the weak. Second, we ought to focus on the kingdom. And thirdly, we ought to build each other up in the faith. Now, let's look at the first of these. Look back at verse 13 with me. Paul says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. And we have to note, first of all, that Paul uses that word, therefore, right? Always have to ask the question. I'm not going to say it. Why does he use it? Why, what, is he, what is he relating back to? We spoke about this briefly as we began before we read the text. He's saying that because Jesus will judge everyone, no matter who you are, based upon your works, we should be more gracious than to those who are around us. We should be more gracious to fellow believers. He says, stop judging one another. One another. And instead, he says, be intentional about not providing stumbling blocks for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it seems pretty obvious Paul is speaking directly to the strong here in this first section. Uh, and probably the Gentiles is who he's talking to. Paul tells them that not to, not to cause their Jewish brothers and sisters to falter in their faith. He doesn't want them to be putting stumbling blocks in front of them. A, a stumbling block, I mean, it's really self-explanatory, but a stumbling block is something that you would place in somebody, in front of somebody, and they would trip over it. They would fall. And what he's saying is, don't put something in somebody's life through your action that would cause them to spiritually trip and as a result, harm themselves spiritually whether it be doubting their own validity in the faith, doubting their own salvation experience, or walking away from the faith entirely thinking, I don't get this kind of Christianity. This is not the kind of Christianity that I really want to practice. This is not what I'm about. He says, don't do that. Don't put stumbling blocks in front of them. Now, for, for Paul, what is, he, what is he really talking about here? Now, we kind of draw out implications from this text um, to some of our current, uh, or our issues, but what, what issues were they dealing with? Well, most likely they're dealing with this, what they called in the New Testament, or that era, the love feast, which is basically just a, a first century potluck, right? So they would come together, they would bring food, everybody would bring food, and then they would share in that food together, and what he's saying is, there seems to be some Gentiles who were bringing meat and bringing other kinds of food and then the Jews, they're bringing meat and other kinds of food. And the Jews are concerned that the Gentiles are not thinking through what kind of meat they're bringing. It, it's, if it was like down in the south and you had a potluck, some of you, more city-like folk, maybe you're bringing stuff you got at the grocery store. 
And some of you who would be maybe more hillbilly folk, you're bringing stuff you shot or maybe stuff you found on the road, right? So there's like this difference of opinion. Like, I don't think I want to eat that. That's probably been sacrificed to an idol, and I'm, I'm not okay with that. Or, you know, that looks like a possum to me, you know? I don't, I'm not going to eat that. There's a difference here for them about what they're willing to eat. And for the Jews, it was a serious concern because there were spiritual implications as a result. Now, now Paul makes it very, very clear where he comes down on this issue, doesn't he? He believes that Jesus, when he said that all things were clean, all food was clean, he says that this is true for us as well. So it doesn't matter if you eat pork or bacon or sausage, praise the Lord, right? We can do that. He says all food is clean. Now, when a Christian tramples over his own conscience, there's a serious problem here. He says all food is clean, but if you, if you have a conscience about eating these kinds of food food based upon your understanding of the law, then if you go against your conscience, you're sinning. That's what Paul says. Why? Well, because when a Christian tramples over his own conscience, it's a sin because what he's doing is he's acting contrary to what he believes God requires of him. You see that? He's acting in a way that is contrary to what he believes God has instructed him to do, which means he's actively living in rebellion against God. That's the heart issue. And so he's sinning against God. One one commentator put it this way. It gives a little more clarity. He says, it is true that if someone thinks it is wrong to eat, but does so anyway, he is condemned. For he makes himself guilty when he does what he thinks he ought not to do. If someone acts against his better judgment in a matter of conscience, conscience, Paul says that it is sin. Friends, we have to be Christians who care about other people, especially our fellow brother and sister, more than we care about ourselves, more than we care about our own freedoms. We have to care for those who are spiritually weak. Now, I want you to focus your attention on verse 15. Look back at the text. Verse 15, he says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, catch this, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Notice what Paul says here. We don't want to be a stumbling block to other people because if we become a stumbling block to other people, what happens? We cease to walk in love. Now, a healthy and mature understanding of the gospel reflects the same kind of love that God, in his sovereign goodness, demonstrated when he sent Jesus Christ into the world, reconciling lost sinners. So that active, pursuing, unconditional, self-sacrificing kind of love, that's the kind of love that we're supposed to reflect in our lives because of the gospel. So, a healthy, mature understanding of the gospel reflects God's kind of love in our lives. So Paul tells us that we are called then to walk in a way of love. In Ephesians, he says, walk in a way that is worthy of that gospel, that gospel of love. We're to walk in love. We have to love God. Jesus says that's the greatest commandment, love 
our neighbor, the second greatest commandment. So if we care more about our freedoms than we care about our fellow Christians, though they may be weak spiritually, Paul says we are forsaking the gospel. And that's a problem. Why are we forsaking the gospel? Well, because it brings harm to the one for whom Christ died. That's why. I mean, imagine um, if we were riding in a car together and some of you have ridden with me in a car and some of you don't want to do that ever again. I think I'm a really good driver. Other people have differences of opinion. But um, I do really good. Kim, we just had this conversation this week about, I asked her, I said, why, why is it that uh, in normal patterns of life, you really don't appreciate my driving? That's a mild way of saying it, right? It freaks her out. Why? Because I don't pay attention, whatever, you know, all these kinds of things. I, know, I wasn't really listening when she said it. So, But in circumstances where it's like really, a, a, you know, it's raining, it's snowing, it's a really good possibility you might fly off the road. Like, I'm the guy she wants to have driving because I know how to drive, apparently, in those kinds of situations. And I said, well, why? You know, what, what's the difference? Or she said, well, I feel like it's because in those circumstances, you're like heightened in your alertness. But in normal patterns of life, you don't even know what's going on when you're driving. It's like it's, like it's not an emergency, so, you know, whatever. Who looks at signs and who cares about these kinds of things? So, anyway. So, with all of that, imagine if we were driving down the road and it was raining. You know? And uh, I'm driving down the road and it's not a big deal. You know, I, 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 rain doesn't really bother me too much, but the roads are starting to get slick. Things are starting to, you know, get kind of rough. The, the rain's coming down pretty hard. Um, but I'm driving the speed limit. I'm not going over the speed limit. I'm driving the speed limit. But then I look over at you, and you're in the passenger seat, and I look at you, and, like, you're freaking out, right? You're freaking out. You're thinking, wow, we should definitely slow down because it's getting kind of nasty out. And like, as I kind of continue to watch you, you're gradually reaching down for the, the handle of the door, you're holding on, I see white knuckles, your feet are kind of pumping in the floor, and you're just kind of starting to just kind of breathe really quickly. Now, what would, what would loving that person, loving you, what would that look like in my life at that point? I mean, I'm driving the speed limit, you know? I just continue to drive the same speed, just do what, I mean, I'm free to do that. I can drive the speed limit, that's not hurting anybody, and I know what I'm doing. I feel very comfortable in my skill level, though other people may not, to do what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Would that, would that be loving? No. No, loving that person would, not, would be not wanting to harm them anymore by fear. So slow down, pull over. That's what loving looks like. Friends, that kind of helps us see the relationship that we would have with one another and a weaker brother or sister. Those who are more mature in the faith need to care for those who are weak. So, how do we choose to walk in love? How will we change and be more compassionate followers of Jesus Christ? How can you specifically care for a brother or sister in the faith? Well, Maybe it means you need to be more careful about the things that you're sharing, about the things that you, you watch, or about the things that you listen, about the things that you drink, or the places that you go. Maybe it means we stop caring 
really, what people wear to church. Who cares? Maybe we stop caring about that kind of an issue. Maybe we, we stop insisting that, that people agree with us about our view of alcohol, whether it be pro or con. Or maybe we, we stop insisting people agree with us on our view of Bible translation. KJV versus ESV or NIV versus NASB or it could go on and on. Or maybe, one I was thinking about this week, maybe, you know, we've got, in our church, we've got a core that will be here whenever the doors are like ajar, right? And then there's the other portion of the church that are more just kind of focused on Sundays. Now, that core, though they fight against it, might have a tendency to look down or to judge those who don't come, who don't come to midweek worship on a regular basis, who, who don't find themselves involved in small groups as though that's the determining factor of whether or not one has spiritual fervor. Now, don't get me wrong. I, th I think those things are very important. I think they're incredibly important for your discipleship and for your growth but to say that they're absolutely essential to your faith, your salvation in Christ, that would be legalism. Those things aren't accurate. I think they're important. I think that they could be an effective tool for growing you deeper in your faith, but nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt attend Wednesday night service. Thou shalt attend small groups because the pastor says so. Every pastor wishes it did say that just so you know, but it doesn't say that. Now, I say all of that. You have to decide whether or not your choice to not be involved in the fellowship that occurs on Wednesdays or Sundays, is that healthy for you or not? You have to decide that. Why don't you come? Is it me time? The only time in the week I get all to myself, I'm not going to spend it with those people. See them enough on Sunday morning. We have breakfast together. Or, you look at your priorities, is it Christ honoring? The things that you're choosing to do with your time, are those things making you a better follower of Christ than if you were actually here with your brothers and sisters studying the word, or being accountable, or, or worshiping together, or praying for one another? Or maybe those Sundays, are you just kind of giving Jesus the leftovers of your week? Those are things you have to decide. But we have to be very careful about judging one another. We have to be very careful that we do not judge one another based upon our traditions, based upon our stereotypes, based upon our opinions. And you have to be intentional about the way that you care for the weak so that you don't cause them to stumble. Now, look at what Paul tells us to look at next. He says, focus on the kingdom, people. Look at verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now for Paul, 
whether people ate particular kinds of foods or didn't eat particular kinds of foods, he didn't really care. He said it really wasn't that big of a deal to him. Now, ultimately, whether you eat kosher foods or non-kosher foods, it's irrelevant, Paul says, in terms of the kingdom of God. And so he says this. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy, all of it found in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul's reference here uh, to the kingdom of God is really interesting when you begin to kind of compare it with other places that Paul has written about the kingdom of God. It's one of the few places in the scriptures where Paul refers to the kingdom of God as being something that we are experiencing right now. The rule and the reign of the king right now. Not the, the future come, coming of the kingdom of God, but the, few, but the now. And what's most amazing here is how he defines it. He says that the kingdom of God and living in light of that kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's another place in Romans where Paul kind of brings the constellation of these ideas together in one text. Look back with me, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And this will help us see the importance of the gospel. Remember that gospel essence that's supposed to bleed into our lives to make us different, transformed kinds of people. Romans chapter five, he says, therefore, since we have been justified, there's your righteousness, declared righteous by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if we allow this passage to help us understand what Paul is saying, we might have a better understanding of what it means to live in light of the kingdom of God. Paul, Paul thinks of the present experience of the kingdom of God in terms of righteousness, in terms of, of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, and in terms of the fruits of this justification, which he sees as peace and joy and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of these aspects have to find their way into the way that we relate to each other. All of it. If we're, if we're changed people, changed by the power of the gospel, like he says in Romans chapter 1, then that gospel has to affect these horizontal relationships that we have within the church, not just the vertical relationship that we individually have or corporately have with God, but it's these relationships that we find in the church. But friends, it's so very easy to become distracted by our opinions, to forget righteousness, to forget peace, unity, joy, presence of the Spirit. It's so easy to become distracted. There was a, a story years ago about um, in the Soviet Union, there was, a, there was this, like, this rising wave of petty theft. And so in order to try to quell that, what they did was they put guards on all of these uh, different factories. And in one particular factory in Leningrad, uh, it was a, it was a, a factory that uh, did a lot of like, timber work and things like that. Well, they had a guard that was posted there, but he was familiar with all of the people that worked there. So he was friends with them. He knew them. And so uh, he was 
posted there to watch people and make sure nobody was taking stuff that they weren't supposed to be taking. And so the first night, the guard was there, uh, a friend of his, a guy, uh, walked out. He had a wheelbarrow, and he was carrying this really large, heavy sack, and it was filled with something. And so the guy's like, okay, you know, I know you've got something in there. You know, pour it out. Let's see what you got. And, uh, and so the guy's like, okay. So he, he takes it, and he dumps the sack out, just full of sawdust, completely full of sawdust, nothing else in it. He's like, well, that's weird. He's like, why would you steal sawdust? Nobody wants that. And he's like, oh, okay, put it back. So he puts it back, puts it back on the wheelbarrow, and then he takes it away. Next day, same thing. Guy comes out, wheelbarrow, big, huge bag, has him poured out. Again, sawdust. The whole week this happens. And finally, the guy's just like, I know something's up. I know that you're stealing something. What are you stealing? What are you trying to smuggle out of here? And his friend just kind of laughs and smirks and looks at him. He says, wheelbarrows. <laughs> Sometimes we become so focused on the sawdust of our own opinions that we forget about the most important things. We forget about what it is that God has told us to do, to, to love one another, to respect one another. Paul is saying that we have to focus on the kingdom priority. We have to focus on what God is focused on. We have to focus on righteousness, the gospel, justification through faith alone in Christ alone. We have to focus on that joy that we receive through the Spirit that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We have to focus on rejoicing in our sufferings and encouraging our brothers and sisters that are struggling in trial. We have to encourage them to have joy in the midst of suffering. We, we have to focus on what it looks like as a community, to live in light of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is generating in us love for one another, affection for one another, that goes beyond just opinions and traditions. We have to forget, oftentimes, our own opinions in order to be embraced by the opinions of God. And finally, we see, we get these two things, caring for the weaker brothers and sisters, focusing on the kingdom of God, and then finally, we need to build one another up. Build each other up. Look what it says in verse 19. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he eats, he is eating not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, Paul here, he's giving us two commands. I want you to notice these quickly. Verse 19, he says, So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, while the kingdom of God is experienced in part with my relationship that I have with God individually, it has to lead me to peace within the church, unity and peace with the people of God as well. Paul is telling us that whether we are weak or whether we are strong, we must make every effort in our lives to do what leads to peace, 
to pursue peace with others instead of judging them or despising them. Second command, he says, verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And you just isolate that sentence by itself. Doesn't it seem insane? Because of a burrito, don't destroy the work of God. See how stupid that sounds? For the sake of food, food that is eaten and then expelled, food that only lasts for half a day if you're, if you're lucky, don't destroy what God began in eternity past with your brother or your sister what God is doing to bring them through, to give them eternal life, to, to push them out into the cosmos in his kingdom, don't destroy that work. Don't harm that work. Don't, don't cause that to be frail because you want to eat something that is causing them to stumble. See how silly it sounds when we begin to put our opinions in comparison to the providential glory of God. Paul acknowledges the freedom of the strong to eat everything when he says that all food is clean, but he also reminds us that we're just kind of walking and we're making choices and we're trying to be wise. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves, right? We're trying to do this life of Christianity in a way that is wise and in a way that is helpful in a way that is, it is nurturing our brothers and sisters and so we are free, but at the same time, in that freedom, we have to make choices that limit our freedom oftentimes in order to bless and to help and to encourage and disciple those who are weaker in the faith than we. Verse 22 through 23, Paul gives advisable, uh, he, he advises the strong and the weak here. He says in verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves, but, who, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He tells the strong, don't brag about your freedom for heaven's sakes. Stop it. Don't brag about, you can do whatever you want. I can drink whatever I want. I can do this or that. Knowing that your weaker brother disapproves and disagrees and it harms them in their understanding of the faith. Don't do that. Now Paul could also here be talking to the weak saying, keep your convictions to yourself. Just because you believe strongly about this particular issue doesn't make you right and it doesn't mean that you can legalize it for the rest of the people in your church. Keep the faith between you and your Father in heaven. Don't Tear your brother or your sister down, he says, but instead build them up in love. Encourage them. And finally, Paul brings us back to this idea of conscience. To go against your conscience is to sin. This is something really important for us, all of us, to reflect upon this morning. Paul is saying that those whose minds are shaped by the truth of the gospel enjoy the blessing of having no condemnation now in Christ Jesus when they practice freely the things that God has given to them to freely practice. Now, I want you to hear what Paul is saying here. If everything that does not come from faith is sin, what Paul is saying is that the, this principle could refer to other matters where we might act a certain way that is contrary to the things that we say. And we call this cognitive dissonance. 
When we think something, we believe something, but then we do the opposite of that. That's sin. Examples. We say we believe in the providence and the sovereignty of God, and yet our biggest problem throughout the week is that we worry. Isn't that a problem? We might sing it, and we might say it, but it's not actually working out in our lives. We say we believe in the sufficiency of Christ, that his cross really was enough, yet we find ourselves feeling guilty when we're not working hard enough, when we're not doing enough, that we're not then we're not reading enough or praying enough or sharing enough or giving enough so that Jesus would be happy with us. As though our righteousness is tied up in that. See the problem there? We say we love Jesus, but we, we judge and we gossip about the very people that he died to save. We say that Jesus is the most important person in the world, if not the world, the universe. And then we give him one hour of our time a week. James says, so whoever knows the right thing to do fails to do it. For him it is sin. Friends, let us be people, church, who care for the weak, who live our lives together, individually and together as a community focused upon the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And let us be a people who continually build each other up in love. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Sometimes we come to it and it's difficult to hear. Sometimes it so very challenging to us. Lord, I pray that today as we've heard from your word that it would be not just a challenge, but that it would be an exhortation, Lord, as we, as we seek to be more disciplined, more equipped followers of Jesus. Lord, help us as we make these choices of wisdom. Give us discernment, Lord. Give us discernment. Give us compassion for our brothers and sisters that are in a different place in this journey of faith. And Lord, all of us, whether we are the weaker or the stronger, Lord, let us, let us support and love one another in Christ based upon the gospel truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name.